2011, uh, a death row inmate in Texas was about to be put to death by lethal injection. And for his last meal, he ordered two steaks, a triple meat cheeseburger, a cheese omelet, a large bowl of fried okra, three fajitas, a pint of ice cream, and a pound of barbecue meat. If you're going to go, he didn't eat any of it. He didn't eat any of it. The very next day, a uh, very irate state senator from Texas called the Texas Department of Justice, and they no longer serve last meals. He said, if we're going to do that and they're not going to eat it, we're just not going to do that anymore. Uh, one death row uh, attorney, I was reading about this, he said that actually he'd never seen a condemned man eat their last meal. He said they either don't order it or they order it or they don't eat it. He said their minds are just on other things at the time. But between, I think the years were, were 82 and 2003, the most popular meals ordered in Texas for your last meal were burgers, fried chicken, and steak. Uh, and someone who researches this said that uh, probably the reason people order these things are because they give them a sense of home. And when things were better and they want to be reminded of better times. So if, if you or I were on death row, if you were on death row and it was your last meal, what would you order? And then if you ordered it, would you feel like eating it? Would you be in the state of mind to eat that last meal? Or would your mind be on other things? Uh, In the passage before us in Mark 14, we find Jesus preparing for... He he knows that the next day he's going to be executed. He's on death row, even though maybe it doesn't look like it. He knows in his mind he's on death row. And he's preparing to eat the last supper with his disciples. What was his mindset? As he's going into this Last Supper. What's he, what's he thinking about it? We're reading from Mark this morning, but in the parallel passage in Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I've, I've eagerly desired this last meal to share this meal with you. Now, why in the world would he say that? And why, would, why should that matter to us. I think we'll begin to see the answer to that as we read the, the passage before us. Uh, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. This is God's word. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. 
they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after the after another is it I he said to them it is one of the twelve one who is dipping bread into the dish with me for the son of man goes as it is written of him but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed it would have been better for that man if he had not been born and as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to them and said take this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let me pray for us. Father, help us as we think about this text, which presents this uh, very serious, uh, it could be somber, could be joyous, uh, probably a little bit of both occasion as uh, Jesus is looking forward uh, to his death and seeking to communicate to his disciples uh, what that means and what he's about to accomplish. Uh, So Father, guide me now as I speak, uh, open our ears to hear uh, and help us uh, most of all, to hear the gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there could be many reasons we could talk about why, why Jesus eagerly desires to eat this last supper with his disciples. It's because he loved them. He was going away. Uh, but but there, there's two things I want us to think about. One in particular this morning. I, I think Jesus was eager because he was eager to put the pieces of everything to get to, to put the pieces of the puzzle together for them. He was eager to put the pieces of the puzzle together for them, and he was eager to give them hope. And those are the two things we're going to think about. He was eager to put the pieces of the puzzle together for his disciples. Now, what do I mean by that? That Jesus was eager to put the pieces of the puzzle together for his disciples. Uh, imagine that you've <coughs> excuse me, been reading a series of books, uh, something maybe like Harry Potter. And each book has a very similar but distinct storyline. They've got slightly different plot lines. And you're kind of getting it, but you're not really sure how it all fits together. And then you finally get to the final book and you read it, and it all comes together for you. It all makes sense to you. In the Last Supper, Jesus is taking the Old Testament and bringing it all together. And he's saying, all these plot lines of the Old Testament come together in me. Uh, the Old Testament is, is weird for many of us, let's be honest. There are some things that seem pretty outlandish to us. Things that may offend modern sensibilities. Things that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you may even point to some of these things in the Old Testament as the reasons that, that you don't even really want to consider Christianity. But here in Mark 14 in this Passover meal, Jesus is saying, all of this comes together in me. So what I want to do this morning is a little bit different, a little bit more teaching oriented. Uh, I want us to think about three Old Testament passages and how they all come together here in the Last Supper in Mark 14. So the first one, and we're not going to read all of these, I'll kind of explain them to you what's going on. The first one is Genesis 12. Genesis 12, we meet for the first time a man named Abraham. Uh, Abraham was the son of a man named Terah. 
Uh, Terah's name literally means moon. Uh, and Terah is from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which at that time was the center of lunar worship in the world. So we're at a point in the Old Testament where if you're reading along, it feels like the knowledge of God is just about to disappear from the earth. And God comes along and he calls Abraham. He grabs a man out of a family of moon worshipers and he says, follow me. Follow me and I'm going to bless you. Uh, And this is what he says in chapter 12. Go from your country to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So this is the, he grabs Abraham, he promises that I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you. So fast forward to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, Abraham says to God, all right, you've promised to bless me, but how do I know you're going to bless me? Uh, And at this point in the story, God tells Abraham to go and get some animals and to cut them up and to lay them kind of like on, 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 they'd be on either side of this table, but the table wouldn't be there. Or if we had animals, dead animals laid down the side like this, instead of you guys here. We had, we had dead, and we've got some animals in the back we can use, we can cut those up. Anyway, that was for Annie. Um, But you would lay these animals down on either side, you would cut them up. And if you're making a covenant with somebody, uh, you know, we're agreeing to do this. Well, how do I know you're going to keep the promise? Well, you would walk down between the dead animals. And what you were saying is, if I don't do what I've promised to do, then may what has happened to these animals happen to me. Right? If I don't keep my covenant, if I don't keep my word, may I be torn in half. And so both people would then walk down between the pieces of the animals. But in this case, God makes a promise to Abraham. They make a covenant together. But Abraham doesn't have to walk between the pieces of the animals. God is the only one that walks between those animals. And Abraham doesn't do anything. And there's a a Jewish commentator who was reading this and kind of wrestling with this. And he said something to the effect of this. He says... It looks like God's making this solemn oath to Abraham that I will bless you even if it kills me. I will bless you even if I have to die to do it. And then the commentator says, but how could God do that? God could never do anything like that. Fast forward, Exodus 12. Uh, God has made these promises to Abraham to give him and his descendants a land, but his descendants are in slavery in Egypt, and they've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so God sends Moses to Pharaoh to tell him, let my people go. And the early chapters of Exodus, you're familiar with these, they are basically God sending plague after plague onto the nation of Egypt to try to convince Pharaoh, hey, hey man, you, you really might want to let my people go here. And yet Pharaoh continues to refuse to let the Israelites go. And so finally in chapter 11 of, of Exodus, God threatens to send the final plague. And this plague is that all the firstborn in Egypt will die that night. <coughs> And that night, or excuse me, and then in Exodus 12 we read this, and I am going to read this. This is Exodus 12 beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month 
shall be for you the beginning of months. This is now going to be the beginning of your year. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So this is the beginnings of the feast that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating this night that we're reading about. And and two things to think about this. Passover was a meal that was held the night before a great deliverance. Because the next day, Pharaoh let the Israelites go. God's people were freed from slavery. All right, imagine what that was like. What that meal was like the first night as you anticipated and maybe were a little uncertain about what God was about to do. And then imagine that meal that you would celebrate year after year as you look back and remember what God had done in delivering you from slavery. Uh, Secondly, for this meal, they, they killed a lamb and ate it. And they took blood from this lamb, a lamb without blemish, and they put it around the door frame of their doors. They put the blood all over that. And that night, God's justice fell. And it was going to fall on everybody. Whether you're an Egyptian or an Israelite, it didn't matter. God's justice was falling on everybody, on all the firstborn. Except it didn't fall on the firstborn of the Israelites who had put the blood over the door. The blood, you might say, deflected the wrath of God. It turned back the wrath of God, the blood of those lambs. Let's get forward a little bit more, Old Testament still. Uh, Exodus 24. Exodus 24, God has given Israel the Ten Commandments. And and Exodus 24 is a, a confirmation of this covenant that God is making with Moses and the Israelites. And so Moses builds an altar, and it's got 12 pillars to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And young men come up and they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar. Now burnt offerings were made in the Old Testament to atone for sin and for guilt. Uh, Peace offerings were meant to celebrate peace and fellowship with God. And so they make these sacrifices and then, and this is this has just got to be a crazy scene. That the people are assembled, and and Moses takes half of the blood from these animals, and he throws it on the altar. He sprinkles it. He sprinkles it on the altar before God to signify atonement for sin. And then he takes the other half of the blood, and he puts it on the people. He throws it. He sprinkles it over the people to show that fellowship and, and peace with God has been confirmed and this blood that Moses is tossing around everywhere this blood is referred to as the blood of the covenant the blood of the covenant now we're up to mark 14 we're skipping a little bit of the old testament we're up to mark 14 on the day that the passover lambs were slaughtered god's firstborn son jesus sits down to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. Uh, The Passover had four points at which the host would take a cup of wine and drink from it and they would pass the cup around and the host would explain the significance of particular elements in the Passover celebration. And they would drink the second cup of wine and then before the meal would actually begin, the host would take a plate of unleavened bread and he would hold the the plate of unleavened bread up and he would say this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt and so we get to this point in the Passover meal and Jesus takes the bread and says this is my body this is my body This, this is the bread of my affliction We keep going. We get to the third cup of wine. And Jesus takes the third cup of wine. This would have been after the meal. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus was about to shed his blood. To bring about the ultimate rescue. The ultimate deliverance from slavery. He was about to drink the cup of God's wrath on the cross the very next day. So that you and I then could drink from the cup, not of wrath, but the cup of blessing. Now think about all this. God promised Abraham, I will bless you and your descendants. Even if it kills me. Jesus says, I'm literally about to do that. I'm about to die on the cross tomorrow to bring you blessing, to bring you the ultimate blessing. On the evening of the Passover, the blood of the lambs was put around the door frames of the houses to turn aside the wrath of God. Jesus says, I am the Passover lamb whose blood is shed to protect you from the righteous wrath of God. I'm going to be the lamb slain. I'm the one who will be exposed to the wrath of God so that you will not be. Exodus 12. The blood is sprinkled on the altar. The blood is sprinkled on the people to represent atonement for sin and fellowship with God. 
And Jesus says, this is my blood. My blood is the blood of the covenant that atones for sin and brings about peace and fellowship with God. Uh, Hebrews is a good book of the Bible that kind of explains, ties things together for us. Hebrews 10 explains all this by saying that Old Testament sacrifices were simply the shadow of good things to come. That in fact it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to actually take away sin. But the blood of Jesus does what the blood of bulls and goats have no real power to accomplish. They can only point to what Jesus was going to do. Hebrews 10 goes on to say, Now because of what Jesus has done, men and women who should be scared to death to get anywhere near God can come close to God because their hearts have been sprinkled clean. Sprinkled clean by what? By the blood of the covenant. By the blood of Jesus Christ. See, I I think Jesus is eager to celebrate this meal with the Passover because he's going to show them how the pieces of the Old Testament come together in the shape of a cross. The pieces of the Old Testament come together in the shape of a cross. Uh, Many years ago, there was a a fire at Yellowstone Park, uh, and some of the park rangers afterwards were going around checking on the damage that had been done, and one of them found the remains of this kind of petrified bird, like uh, up charred up against a tree. And it looked kind of gruesome to him, and and he, he sort of kicked it. And when he kicked it, three baby chicks ran out from underneath the wings of this bird. Their, their mother had died giving them shelter from the fire. Uh, the good news of the gospel is this, that the pieces of the Old Testament come together in the cross of Jesus Christ. The good news that the church exists to proclaim is that there is shelter for you from the wrath of God in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. I deserve to have the wrath of God come down on me. But because of his great love, God sent his son to provide shelter from that wrath, to shed his blood to protect you from that wrath. And he appeals to men and women who have walked away from him to come and find shelter in his son. Now you've probably heard somebody say, maybe you're thinking even now, um, that's all great, but I have kind of a hard time believing in this God who needs blood to, to pacify his wrath. Why can't we all just, why can't he just forgive us like we forgive each other? Well, let, let's think about that for a minute. How do we forgive one another? What happens when we forgive one another. Uh, anytime we forgive each other, if I, I forgive something you've done to me, there's a cost involved. There's a cost involved. If you crash a car through my house and I say, I forgive you, well, does that do away with the damage? Does that do away with the debt? No. Someone's got to pay for that still. I can make you pay for that or I can absorb that cost myself and pay for the damage that you have done myself. 
It's the same with God. It costs God something to forgive our sin. It costs God something to forgive our sin and yet remain just at the same time. He has to absorb the cost. How does God absorb the cost? How does a just God absorb the cost of our sin and remain just and forgive us at the cross? The cross is about God absorbing the cost of our sin so that he can forgive you and I. Um, you know, if, if we were to sit down and talk about it, all of our hearts cry for justice in the world, don't we? We want, we want justice. We see wrongdoing and we want justice to be done. We want wrongdoing. We want somebody to deal with that. But here's the problem with that. If God's justice comes down, it doesn't just come down on the people that you and I have a problem with. It comes down on us as well. It comes down on every single one of us. Because we've all fallen short of of God's standards. We've all sinned against Him. And if we're honest, we know that. We know that we've fallen short of God's absolute moral purity. Our family was watching the the latest, I won't say the last, Jason Bourne um, movie this weekend. And throughout the movie, Jason Bourne is always having these flashbacks to people he has killed, assassinations, murders. And, and he's haunted by that. He, he carries around the, the weight of what he's done. You know, some of us may object to the idea of a God of wrath, a God of justice, But inside, we're having flashbacks, too. We're having flashbacks to things we've done. And we're carrying around the weight of the things that we've done. And we take that around with us. Is there any way to get that weight from around our neck? Is there any way to to put away the guilt of those flashbacks? The only way is if that sin is atoned for. But how can it be atoned for? It can only be paid for. You can only be released from the burden of those flashbacks from that sin by the blood of Jesus. Jesus comes to atone for my sin, to remove the weight of it so that I no longer have to bear it. Jesus was eager to celebrate the Passover with his disciples because he was about to show them how all the pieces of the Old Testament fit together in the shape of a cross. He's eager to celebrate it with them. And I think he was also eager to celebrate it with them because he wanted to give them hope. Uh, The very last thing, close to the end that we read here is Jesus saying, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it with you in the kingdom of God. The next day was going to be a very dark day for the disciples. They didn't know it yet, but it was going to be. Their their hero, their friend was was about to be uh, killed on the cross. And yet they would have these words ringing in their head that Jesus told me we were going to drink this wine together again one day. And then when Jesus died and and rose from the dead and he left them again, they would have these words stuck in their head. Jesus said we were going to drink this wine together again one day. Uh, Think about a soldier who's about to go off to war. And just before they leave, they have a special meal with their family. And they say to their family, look, every time you sit down and you eat this particular meal together, I want you to think about me. 
and remember that I will come back and that I will eat this meal with you again. I mean, wouldn't that give you something to to hope in, to long for? Uh, Jesus, in the Lord's Supper, has left us with a meal that points us back to what he has done. He's left us with a meal that helps us even now to, to commune with one another around it as what unites us is not that we all dress the same or, or, or whatever, but, but the, that we're united by the blood of Jesus. And so he's left us this meal where we have communion together and communion with him. And he's left us this meal that reminds us that one day we will drink this wine with him in heaven and, and all will be right. Uh, if you've ever taken communion, uh, Anglicans do it this way. I don't, uh, some Presbyterian churches do it similar to this. But you know that in an Anglican church, you come forward uh, and you come up to the railing and, and you kneel and you hold out your hand. And they place the bread or the wafer in your hand. And then they come along with the cup and you, you receive the cup to drink from the cup. And I, I think that's, I, I like that picture because how can I know Jesus? How can I know this hope that my sins will be forgiven, that, that my sins will be atoned for? I can only know this if I receive Jesus. I hold out my hands and I receive what he has done. And I rest on him alone for my salvation. I trust in him alone as my Passover lamb who turns aside the wrath of God from me. I receive Jesus by faith just as I receive the bread and the wine. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, the message of the whole Bible. And that it's all about Jesus. And uh, it's either looking forward to Jesus or, or looking back to what Jesus has, has done. And as those who stand on this side of the cross, uh, Father, we look back to what he has done. We can look back to how the Old Testament points to what he was going to do and be amazed by that. Uh, Father, some of us perhaps have a, a hard time believing that... Uh, we need a sacrifice. We need a Passover lamb. I pray that you might impress the reality of our sin on us. Others of us, Father, perhaps think that our sin is too big. It's too much. That we've done it too many times. I pray that you'd impress upon us the reality of the fact that the blood of the lamb is greater than all of our sin. And then it covers it perfectly so that we are left without spot or blemish in your sight. Father, I pray that if there are any among us who are not trusting in this lamb, who are not seeking shelter in the blood of Christ, that you, O oh Father, might sweetly and graciously open eyes and draw them to faith in Jesus and receive him simply by holding out their hands. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.